The short game is listener-supported on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and join us on our Discord, head to theshortgame.net or patreon.com slash theshortgame. Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I am Reagan Kelly, and I am joined this week by two fantastic co-hosts, Nate Heininger and Shane Kelly. And this week, uh, in a kind of follow-up to our favorite mechanics episode, uh, we, we had a really good discussion after that. You know, we had a, I, I had a lot of fun recording our episode about our some of our favorite mechanics. We all kind of brought some favorites with us. We talked about what we liked about them. It produced a really fun conversation on our Discord where other folks were sharing specific fave mechanics. Um, But one specific suggestion, and I I should have searched the Discord to find who it was that suggested this really tickled me. Somebody was asking, will you do an episode on your least favorite mechanics? Kind of a good idea. And that had just enough trash fire energy that I was like, yes, that is a thing we're going to do. I love it. So this week... Uh, we're doing another one of our topic-based episodes. We're not reviewing a specific game, but we're going to talk about some of the mechanics that we have encountered in games that we hate. And I'm going to try to get as specific as I can because specificity is the soul of butthurtedness. Of hatred, yeah. This, yes. is a, uh, this, is, this is a different vibe for us. You know, We really try to just bring out games that we are enjoying games that we think you should play that's not 100 percent of the case obviously sometimes we have mixed opinions on the games i've seen that in a recent episode on dredge but for the most part this is a positivity focused show but today we're throwing that out all out the window and we're going to complain uh about some things that we don't like in video games absolutely and um I'll lead us off. We're jumping right into it. No, banter. yeah, I'm jumping right into it because I have yeah. been saving this one. I've been I've been nursing this game grudge. I can for see I think I think nine years. Reagan's ears right now. Oh man, let me tell you, he looks like Doctor Robotnik. So when we first started this show, I had a, a big list. You know, we're talking uh, 2013, 2014, and I went and made a big list of all the indie games that I thought might potentially be fun for the show. Right. Things that I thought would be short enough and fun and interesting and uh, neat. I don't know if you remember this because this is a long goddamn Mm -hmm. time ago. But one of the games that was on my very first list of games to check out for the show was Tesla Grad. Do you remember Tesla Grad, Nate? Yes, I do. Did you play any of it? Uh, No, I did not because I think you ran screaming from it quickly enough (laughs) that I never uh, I never got a shot to to open it up. Yeah, so so let me get specific here. Tesla Grad is a very good game. It's got it's a puzzle platformer. It's a really good puzzle platformer. It has lots of really cool physics and sort of lots of um, uh, puzzles that that use physics and magnetism. This was you know 2013. Uh, people were still like high on the on the hangover of Portal or Portal Two maybe right and and uh, physics based, uh, platformers and stuff were still very hot. And Tesla grad was a very popular game on steam. Um, this is timely by the way, because Tesla grad got a remaster. There's a, this Tesla grad two is out and Tesla grad, the original game had a remaster this year, like in April. Um, so, you know, 
I, and I, I, I've, I've actually had my finger over the buy button for the, the remaster thinking maybe I should give this another try. But the thing that's been keeping me from it is I played 100% of the way through that game, uh, preparing for the show. I, I, I loved it. I played a lot of it. And then I got to the very end of the game where you're supposed to go through a boss door. There's a door to the final boss of Tesla, oh, which I think is some kind of a king. You know, it's been a long time. Mm-hmm. I don't really remember anything about the story. King shit. But you're good. You're about to go fight the evil king or whatever. Um, and the boss door has a big number above it. <laughs> and it's like, oh, you know, those random collectibles that seemed like you didn't care about them for the entire game. They're scrolls. Oh, you need 15 of those to make it through the boss door to beat the final boss. And I I hate collectibles, right? I don't love right. collectibles. I don't uh-huh. go out of my way for collectibles. Even in 2013, like, you know, this is the short game. I'm trying to play this game as quickly as I can. I'm not going out of my way to collect these collectibles. The only collectible that you're collecting is checking off items from the uh, the quest list or right. what have you. Right. You're, uh, you're walking right past the scroll that's a double jump away from you. Well, I wouldn't quite say that. I did collect a number of scrolls, but 15 is the... Med- I don't know exactly how many scrolls there are in the game. That's not all of the scrolls, but it's a very significant number. Um, probably at least half. And not only... So Tesla Grad is a big game, big map. Um, it's possible to backtrack in it, but it's not easy because everything requires a lot of like weird physics stuff to get from point A to point B. You get some additional mobility mechanics and whatnot, but backtracking in that game is not nothing. There's no fast travel. It's all you know, wandering around and, uh, you know, going through different platforming challenges. So I get to that boss door and I can't get through the boss door to fight the final boss uh, without collecting, if I remember correctly, something like five more of those scrolls. But also there was no way to tell, I could even, I could look up a, a list, like here's all the scrolls in the game and where they are and how to find them, right? Okay, Theoretically, that's fine, but I have no way to tell which of those scrolls I have versus the ones that I don't have because they're all identical. And the the whole game is like it's just really not set up for that kind of backtracking. There's no there's no map with glowing. At least this has been almost a decade since I played this game, so maybe I'm getting some long grudge wrong here. Yes, very long grudge. Yeah. Um, but like it was totally not practical without essentially playing the whole game again to go back through and like checklist all of these scrolls until I had enough. And I just rage quit and we never covered the game on the show and I've hated it ever since. I just yeah. was so freaking mad because I was right on the boss door, like standing in front of the boss door, right? Ready to finish the game. Triumph nearly in hand. And then it was just like, screw you. You didn't collect enough of the random shit that we didn't tell you was all that important. I was like, like you know, these are optional, right? Like whatever. Like you, you, can, you can walk right past them. It's not like you have to collect them in order to progress. Oh, that means where there, so what where this there really no... is to me is um, I think this kind of collectible or like having some way to gate your, you know, completing the game uh, is one thing. But what it created for you is a huge pacing issue. You know, you had this like you were hurtling forward. You're ready to finish the game and beat the final boss. And the game said, well, hold on slow down what you really need to do 
is uh, appreciate the finer details of our level design a little bit more. Why don't you go walk around for a while mm. and uh, look for the little blue things? And I mean, that's a that's an issue. And this seems like it was a very well reviewed game. I don't remember exactly the details there, but um, like puzzle solving platformers are a are, are a kind of game where like um, the the pace is usually pretty slow. Like you're you're wanting to kind of you, you kind of expect to collect a bunch of these things. We we did um did, we did Grapple Dog. That one does exactly this, right? So we haven't done we we I've been playing. Oh, we didn't do Grapple. We Dog. haven't done an episode on oh, it. Yet, uh, listeners, but... listeners, we're discussing. We're we're in talks with uh, <laughs> with our agents to see if we can cover Grapple. Dog. Our dogs are talking but, to the Grapple Dogs yeah. to see if we can come up with a good time for an episode. Maybe that's why we haven't covered Grapple Dog yet. It's because Reagan is allergic to having doors with a number at the top mm. of them, and Grapple Dog is absolutely rife. Uh, with that but i'm well, enjoying grapple talk well i think it's it's that it, pacing makes sense and I, it's just unclear gating you know with grapple yeah. dog like you learn pretty quickly like oh these these collectibles are instrumental for progressing into the next phase of the game so i know when i see one i should make every effort to get them but i also recognize that i don't need to 100 percent these to, to Reagan, progress in so, tesla grad was this the only door with a big number at the top? As far as I remember, it's been like 10 years, but like, yeah, uh, yeah. as far as I remember, this was the only time when it gated you based on the number of scrolls that you had collected. Um, also, scrolls could be hidden. So like you could go through a room like I had no assurance that if I did just backtrack through the game that I would find the scrolls. It's not like mm. I saw them and was like, I don't need that. I would get them if they were visible, but if they were like hidden, uh, or if they were like a really serious challenge that I couldn't manage, um, then I, you know, I didn't get them. And so like, if I went, there's no guarantee that I, if I went back through a room that had a hidden uh, scroll in it, that I would actually find it, you know, I might, I might just wander this tower forever, redoing platform challenges again and again, <laughs> in order to, like, you know, hope that I bumble across something that I missed the first time. Um, yeah, anyway, I, if if we have to come up with like a name for this as a mechanic, I would say gating progress based on an arbitrary number of collectibles. That is a that is in general a feature that I think is a detestable um, as a design choice. Um, but especially if it's like not well communicated that like you need to get X number of these and like this this everything about this design choice frustrated me to no end. I did look at the Tesla Grad remastered uh, page, and they, it says that they've made a number of quality of life changes to remove frustrations. And I'm wondering if this has changed mm, in newer mm. versions of the game. And listeners, maybe if you have, uh, you know, tried the Tesla Grad remaster, I mean, I don't know. It, looking at the like screenshots and everything, it looks identical to the game that I played. Maybe there's like slight improvements to some of the like I don't know glowing effects or something. I'm not really sure what this remaster buys you, but it is just like I guess here's a version of the game that probably runs better on your computer than the version from 2012. Reagan, um, when you brought this up, what it really reminded me of, I mean, to picture this, I'm Batman. <laughs> yes. I can blow holes in concrete walls with my explosive gel, but I can't cut through the chain link fence to get to the Riddler trophy. <laughs> it's right there. 
The Riddler right movies there. are so infamous. <laughs> I feel like we 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 had to do a whole short game episode just on the Riddler trophies. <laughs> I think that would be that would be a great conversation. We should do we should do a special short game stream what? where we just try to get Riddler trophies. <laughs> but we all have to do it in our own Batman voices. Do you remember when Robert Pattinson starred as me, Batman? Of course I do, Batman. Do you remember how when he wanted to fight the Riddler, he had to collect 300 Riddler trophies? My favorite part of the movie. This is, this is dumb. This is really uh, dumb. This is really dumb. <laughs> Reagan, you know I have a question for you. You've been carrying this with you for nearly 10 years now. Um, you started hovering a little bit as you really got into your rant. Do you feel better yeah. now? Is this what you needed? Is this why this episode is happening? Yes. Yeah. I I feel purged. Yeah. I am. Uh, I I have become clean. What it, <laughs> What is a What does a Catholic priest say when someone's like, you know, uh, shared their sins? You know, go. I don't go. know. I think I need to be given like uh, given mm-hmm. penance. Go say are, some prayers. You are free, mm-hmm. free from your burdens, my child. Nice. Thank you to you both. I feel <laughs> I, I feel I feel fully purged. All right. Um, well, now that Reagan has collected all thirteen treasures of rule, um, <laughs> uh, I'll I'll give my my first. <laughs> is that a is that a reference to the um, uh, Pirates of Dark Water? <laughs> yes, I, I knew you would pick that up. I don't Sick. know any of our listeners. Would. <laughs> um, the 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 thing that I wanted to throw out for a I, just a huge turnoff. These are my. You guys know my gaming turn-ons. This is my gaming turn-off. Uh, is Pixel... I'm not, I'm not calling this episode our gaming turn-offs, Shane. Just- <laughs> okay, I thought that would be... Uh, that that People will click, my guy. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta get those clicks. Um, I'm kind of not sure what to call this exactly, but uh, I'm, I'm kind of on record on the podcast as being the guy that does not really like point-and-click adventure games. And the funny thing about that is when I was younger, I totally was the guy that liked point and click adventure games. Like I played a lot of these, uh, you know, the the old scum games, uh, you know, we played a, 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 most of the Monkey Island games. And um, but the thing that in those days, I would always just have to look up on a, a various online forums um, would be the solutions to the point-and-click puzzles. And there's two things that can go terribly wrong in these point-and-click puzzles. One is uh, they just don't make any goddamn sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and two is that you're hu- pixel hunting, trying to find the thing that you need to click on. Um, it's almost hard to narrow this down because it's such a fundamental piece of the point-and-click adventure game genre where... Like a huge part of how you progress through these games, I'm thinking particularly of some of the most ludicrous examples are in like the Sam and Max games, where it's like you have to go to six different places around the world and collect um, stupid items uh, that you only know you can pick them up because you've swept your cursor uh, back and forth across the screen like a metal detector waiting for it to light up. And when it does, you add like a fish and a piece of rope and a rubber chicken to your inventory. Um, and now Classic. you get a, the exciting chance to try to combine all of these items. Well, you can't combine the rope and the fish, but inexplicably, you can combine the rope and the rubber chicken. And uh, now that you have a rope attached to a rubber chicken, which can never be separated, uh, 
now you have to find the uh, inexplicable keyhole for that object somewhere in the world. Um, that to me is uh, not gameplay. That is just sort of uh, random chance encounters and recombining of things. And in order to get there, um, like you, the the efficient way to play that kind of a game is to obsessively try everything with everything. And if that's your vibe, like, great. Uh, it's not for me. Um, uh, we've talked a little bit about games that we did not end up playing for the show or that we, you know, we dropped. I was really excited to try a game called Thimbleweed Park. Um, I that one played that. I'd still like yeah. to. But I, I, I suppose you're going to tell me why I, why that would be dumb to give that try a try. <laughs> no, you wouldn't be dumb at all uh, to give it a try. It is, it, it's, it was, I would say, very popular. Uh, aesthetically, I, I thought for sure uh, that it would be a, a, a hit for Nate because it's kind of inspired by uh, Twin Peaks. And mm. um, I know Nate's a big fan of Twin Peaks. Yes. It, this game is very clearly inspired by the early principles of these kinds of adventure games um, where you have explicit like verb action commands that you can use, which in, in general, I actually do like that because it helps uh, prevent some of that um, uh, like bizarre mix and match, try everything on everything um kind of gameplay um so it, it has a lot of dna in common with uh with maniac mansion however um i have over time become so reactive to this particular game mechanic of collecting various keys and shuffling myself around the map and trying them in every possible keyhole trying to hand everyone to everyone hand everything you can pick up off the ground to every single npc and each time you do so they say something like i don't want your garbage you know <laughs> like like that's 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 what the experience this? yeah so Why are you trying to give this to batman <laughs> um the the this is a really cool game and i i mean if we wanted to play it for the show i think actually it would be kind of cool it's it's from 2014 now so it's it's been a little is it that old my god mm, actually, it feels like it was from like that. it feels yeah. like it was more recent than that no it was 2014 well that was the kickstarter that's the reason i'm seeing that date i think it was released in 2017 so mm. that's still not that's no spring chicken um uh it and I mean, it has it has direct DNA. I'm, I needed to Google this real quick, but it has direct DNA. It, there's Ron Gilbert and Gary uh, Winnick uh, were people who worked on Maniac Mansion and Secret of Monkey Island, and then went on to to make this. So the fact that it shares a lot of that DNA is 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 great. Um, I think this is a difference in me. This is this is a me problem. Um, the the young man that was happy to look up the solutions to puzzles on internet forums uh, or try to like glean hints from game facts uh, text files. Um, I think he is gone now, um, but that that spirit may still live on in you. So if that's true, maybe you should go and play this game. Uh, but 
this doesn't just extend to this game. I'm kind of picking on it. Honestly, my my issue extends even to modern games. Um, that the pixel hunting element is present in lots of modern games. I'm in the middle of Baldur's Gate 3 right now. And uh, at first, I was certain that Baldur's Gate 3 was going to absolutely fail on this test for me because uh, there's lots of things to pick up. Most of them are useless. It's like, hey, you got a piece of mugwort. Congratulations. Um, And they're often very, very small items. Um, I did find that there was a button that would make everything interactable kind of, or almost everything interactable because not fully reliable, light up on screen um, and show you its name. Um, I ended up rebinding that button to one of my extra gamer mouse buttons. And mm-hmm. I, while I am playing, I keep that button depressed nearly all the time. Um, <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> the, um, yeah, pixel hunting and uh, object uh, collection uh, lock and key puzzles uh, are the thing that I could totally do without. Yeah, uh, I agree 100%. Shane, I've never been a big point and click adventure fan for basically the exact same reason. And I also appreciate Baldur's Gate. Baldur's Gates. Uh, you on, on PlayStation, it's you hold X and it just it searches the entire area and then shows you like in a list all the items that you that you found so you can uh, like sort through them and, and interact with them one by one, which is a huge help because especially playing split screen, it's like it is impossible to really see everything that's on in, in the area and, and identify valuable items and constantly losing little shit too. So yeah, that stuff drives me crazy. And it's kind of an extension of the, the main one that I wanted to talk about today which this is vague or th- this is a very broad thing. And it's very popular in, in games and it it's uh, a big part of a lot of games that we play, but it's really like a personal issue that extends into video games for me, which is that I'm horrible at finding shit. Like <laughs> I, I'm the, I'm the cliche. Where are my shoes? Where's my, where's my keys? Where's the, I just had, you know, if I'm working on a project, I like could never find like, Oh, where, where'd that, tape measure go whatever it is i'm like constantly partly because i'm blind and partly because i'm just like stupid you know and like I you're never... a baby with no object permanence yeah basically i've i never matured enough to get that object permanence uh feature that most of you have and so pick that perk on the yeah and uh <laughs> so in in video games i have the exact same problem i just like can never find the shit that they want me to go and find and so if it's a uh in particular 3d games that require you to find individual objects in order to move the story forward are a constant struggle for me. So like we played Titan station, not that long ago, cool game. Like these types of games often have some of the best stories, which is what makes it the most frustrating for me when there's a damn clipboard on a table in the corner of the room that I didn't find. And it is the thing that I need in order to progress the entire story forward. And it, it is made particularly worse when it's a large environment and I'm running from room to room to room, re-scanning every table, every bookshelf, everything for what is the one little item that I can't find. And I end up Googling it or something and finding a tutorial. Then I have to watch the whole video of them going and be like, oh, damn it, it's right there. It's just sitting there on that table. I just 
didn't go to that table or went to that table and didn't see that item. And it drives me crazy. And it like kills the progression. It cuts me out from the the story that I, I want. It, it's super immersive breaking, especially at a Titan station when you're like, oh, there, there, there's a sense of dread. There's a sense of like timeliness to this, you know. And I have just spent an hour running from room to room yeah. looking for like, and I don't even know what I'm looking for. You know, I just know like there's something that I have to find that's going to give. I think it's like in this case, it was like a password. And so I'm just losing my mind trying to find something that I vaguely know what I'm looking for. And I just can't find it because I, I can't find my shoes. How could I find this stupid mm-hmm. clipboard? And so that sort of stuff drives me crazy. Now, one of my favorite games of all time, uh, maybe the the further and further I get away from it, the more and more I think this just is my favorite game of all time, Disco Elysium. Now, it's not a full 3D space. It's isometric. But it, you know, it the whole game on that is uh, just going and, and finding items and talking to people and things like that. Same sort of concept. It is easier in an isometric uh, viewpoint because you have a, like sort of a more fixed lens. But they have a feature, much like what you were saying with... Uh, with Baldur's Gate, where uh, you can cycle through the interactable objects that are on the screen. And that's all I need. Just give me something that like lets me that that helps me identify the stuff in the room that I can interact with. And I'm great. I, you know, I, I think any game that is story focused, like it, it can't be the developer's wish that you get stuck trying to find this sort of stuff. So add these little tools in and I'm right back on board. But when I'm just stuck out there, especially in some of the game, what was the game we played where it wasn't just the 3d space, but there was zero gravity. It was also in space, right? So you could, um, you could float around and that game, that game drove me crazy because now was it like observation or something like that? Oh yes, that's it. Um, yeah, it was that. Uh, I think observation is the name. Yeah, it was. It was a sort of a floating through a space station. Yeah. So now I've got every access. I, think I wasn't on that episode, on. but uh, it looked really yeah. good to me. I mean, it's it, again, it's like a cool game, but now I I have to I have to find shit on every possible axis, <laughs> and so I'm just. You know, it, I almost got sick playing that game because I couldn't find the stuff that I'm supposed to find. And now I'm just floating around. Um, it, it drives me crazy. And I think it's generally a solvable problem with a few things like what we've talked about with like Baldur's Gate or Disco Elysium. And and so whenever that's not the case, I'm like, I'm just going to struggle through this game. And it has been over and over and over for since we've done this show. Gone Home, Firewatch, uh, was it The Vanishing of Ethan Carter? Um I don't know. There's a there's a ton of them. These walking simulators. It's almost always a core part of that of those games. And yeah, I there's always involved. like you have to find the thing and pick it up, and that's how yeah. how the game knows that you are paying attention, right? <laughs> but if you don't yeah. pick the thing and, up, and I'm like, yeah. I remember that specifically. And, and everybody's gone to the rapture. Mm-hmm. Um, I I have a. This is particularly bad in games that have a really naturalistic set dressing style right like the level design is full of um everyday objects and you know mostly we're all when these things are set is so often a little bit post-apocalyptic where everything's a little (laughs) bit dirty and cluttered and you know all the stuff from the table is on the floor now and um 
yeah, you're trying to find that one object, and unless they like light it up, um, <laughs> they, they're kind yeah. of expecting you to just try everything. Like, there's it's it's a very similar to that, like sweeping your cursor back and forth on the screen. Yeah. Like you look around, and you know, at some point, your crosshair or your cursor is going to change from like gray to yellow. And that's how you know you can progress the game, and and it's yeah. it's a it's a bizarre way of checking to make sure someone has looked at everything. Well, I imagine some people like this. You know, it, these are very popular genres and very popular games often, and I think the the sense of exploration and discovery is something that people enjoy. But because this is a problem for me in real life, also this just feels like now I'm just experiencing my personal issues in a fantastic realm you know like cool i'm glad i'm on this space station shit where's that fucking clipboard damn it i want to explore this awesome space station i'm in a video game i don't want to be reminded that i can't find shit anywhere you know uh and this is like this is just every i'll be playing like tears of the kingdom and i'll be running by him i'll be like you ran right by a mushroom like by you ran right by some uh, Hylian uh, uh, herbs or whatever like oh damn I didn't even see it I just ran right past it you know it's it's every game but when the when the whole game is dependent on you finding that one little thing to move it forward I it, it drives me crazy that for me that that problem is sometimes it's a problem when my like ADD is like acting up or like you've got right. that tunnel vision or or even I just yeah. don't know what the thing is. But but I think it's like overall, I don't think that's like necessarily like a mechanical problem. But that said, like a lot of the things that are on my list for this are not mechanical problems. The next thing I was going to talk about is something that is 100% a me problem. And it's something that like a, a, a mechanic that I know zillions of people adore and then that just doesn't work for me um similarly and that's uh photography games yeah i've got several favorites in this genre really okay so like so like the thing the the, I, i was trying to pick a specific example of a place where i'd bounced off of a game because of this mechanic um and uh the most recent one that came to mind was umurangi generation which was a game that got a lot of good buzz it was really in my strike zone in a lot of ways. It had uh, cool graphics, an interesting story. It had um, like progressive politics to it that were it was wearing on its sleeve in a way that I thought was like interesting and had something to say about like climate change and stuff. But it also has uh, this is a little small minor spoiler if you haven't played anything related to Umarangi Generation. Um, giant monsters like kaiju in it like i was like this is going to be my shit top to bottom right and i'd listen to a bunch of people talking about it on podcasts and i was nodding along saying yeah that sounds awesome that sounds awesome i was I sure you were this. gonna like it for sure I, yeah I'm, I'm still want i have not played that one because you bounced off of it and i was like well we'll never podcast about it so <laughs> what's the yeah. point but, i mean uh, you can I've, i never stop you guys from doing an episode <laughs> without me but here's the thing um, it's first and foremost, its main mechanic is photo taking. And in general, photo taking games, going back to Pokemon Snap, maybe earlier examples I don't know about, generally the way they work is here's a list of things you should take photos of. And you go and find the object in the space, you take a photo of it, and then it judges whether it's a good photo or not based on some kind of internal rubric about like, is the thing in frame? How large is it in the frame? Is it centered? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, 
And I don't know what it is about me, but like this has so many problems for me. I get a list of like, here's some photos to take. And the first thing my brain does is like, I don't care about that. <laughs> I don't know why, but I'm just like, no, I'm not going to take your photos. Like, no, I don't want to do that. And then, okay, I'm like, okay, God, let's do it. We got to take the photo. It wants me to take a photo of a bird. Let me find a bird. There are no birds. I can't find a bird anywhere in this damn level. Where are the birds? Are they moving around? Find the bird. Okay, there's a bird. Let me take a photo of the bird. I take the photo. There's no bird in this photo, says the photo taking mechanic. I'm like, wait, no, there is a bird in the photo. It's right. It's right there. I know its beak is behind a tin can, but I swear to you, the bird is in frame. Take a photo again. There's no bird in this photo. What is wrong with you? Yes, the bird is in the photo. I've just take or or you know I take that initial photo and it's like now get a photo with two birds and I'm like I don't <laughs> want to like <laughs> I I hate this mechanic. I hate taking photos in games. I like taking photos in real life, but only of my kids, man. If they made it, if they made a photo game that was like take photos of your kids and my kids were in the game, I'd be snapping up all kinds of photos. But like, I don't care to take a photo of a sign. It's usually take a photo of a sign, take a photo of graffiti, take a photo of someone smoking a cigarette. And it's like, first of all, this is not how photography works, you know? Like, I, it, I've definitely played games where they have a photo mode. And sometimes yeah. I have some fun with that, but I don't usually spend much time on it. I know some folks really get into that and they like, like, you know, composing the most beautiful photo or whatever. Um, you know, I'll play around with that. That's kind of amusing. It's interesting, but I don't, I don't really like, I don't love doing that. If they had a game that was like, I don't know, Diane Arbus simulator, uh, that was like, this is, this is how, this is how they really took photos. That would be interesting. Like if there was a game that was actually about like, photography in the sense that like you know it was giving you actual real photography skills but mostly those photograph those photography games are not like about learning how to do an engaging portrait or uh i've i've seen I, I don't remember what it was called but i feel like i have seen there is some steam game that's like an ultra detailed photography sure simulation that, that is like, like yeah yeah um there yeah, in fact, a quick Google search turned up a couple, but actually, these both look like they haven't come out okay, yet. Maybe, so maybe this, this is a genre. Is, maybe this is like on a, the a on the verge of, of explosion. For me personally, I had a lot of fun uh, with a game that I don't think we covered for the show, unless maybe we discussed it on like Cozy Game Corner like a few years ago or something. <laughs> the game's called Paparazzi, oh, uh, yeah. which is a game a where name. you take pictures of dogs um, in a town that's nothing but dogs. Uh, and that one, that one hit for me. It was like it, the the good thing about this kind of game is that they're easy to pick up and put down, and that they're pretty chill. Um, and paparazzi in particular is very nice and chill. Um, the the thing that I I think is best about the genre is it is that kind of explore the space walking simulator but you do have like an objective that's going to bring you directly into engaging with looking at the environment, right? Like that's, mm -hmm. that's, that's what's good about these. Like what you're describing Reagan is, is everything bad. And it's kind of why I, well, uh, this isn't a genre that I think lots of people are wanting to experience lots of games from. Uh, if I had some highlights, it would be probably, paparazzi probably pokemon snap but everyone already knows about that and maybe sasquatchers on the play date oh that um, hardly counts that's more like a like a um uh, it's advanced wars meets advanced wars game. yeah 
that was such yeah. a neat game. I didn't finish it, but it was really cool. Um, I was also going to say, like, this does not apply to recent short game fave viewfinder. That is a game about framing photographs, but it does something so completely different with it that, like, like I, I adored that. I loved taking photos and then using them as part of a puzzle. I think if, if a, you know, if the, if the photographs were m- more part of a larger puzzle or system like that, I think I might have had more fun with uh games like umarangi generation but just sort of like here's your here's your checklist you know go take photos and log them you know or whatever that doesn't do it for me um there was another game that was a like a game that i was eager to play for the show because of its vibe it was called um season i think it was season a letter to the future was the subtitle um and it came out maybe uh last year and I was like super into it, its trailer. And then I realized, oh, it's a photography game. And I was like, mm, pull the ripcord. Um, but yeah, I don't know. What if was if that other folks want game, what was that squirrel game we did? Oh, nuts. that's right. Yeah. Uh, nuts. nuts. Nuts was yeah. cool. Yeah. That did have photography. I liked in it, nuts. And I, didn't yeah. I forgot all one. about that. That was a good one. Yeah. 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 You know, so um, maybe I, it's not I, universal. Like there's, yeah. there's exceptions. But like in general, being like told, like, here, go take a photo of uh, graffiti on a wall. And I just like not into it, man. I don't think I've ever truly interacted with the photo mode of any game ever that has it, mm-hmm. unless it's a, a required part of the game. Like when when it's almost every 3D space, like open world game now has it where you find a rusty old camera or something that gives you the ability to <laughs> to take photos or like in Tears of the Kingdom when you're ipad or whatever gets updated and now you can yeah. take pictures with it um i'm just, i just never interact with it. i think so i've seen some people who have and it's cool and that sounds like you know it's something that they enjoy and so you know, we're not trying to yuck anyone's yum here but yeah boy, howdy, I, do I, I should also totally yeah. say like this is this is a me thing i am not saying this is a bad mechanic i think yeah. that it's something that i just don't enjoy for one reason or another i think that's this um, entire episode like obviously yeah. we're talking about very successful games games that we've played uh you know big big genre elements um but the point here is the stuff that we personally don't like for whatever reason whether it's a specific experience like tesla grad or just like a personal distaste like uh like these recent ones well, the, the last thing I want to throw out is kind of a twofer. Um, I I think these two, uh, unfortunately, today often go hand in hand. So I'm just going to do two at once. Uh, number one is microtransactions. And number two is random uh, loot drops. I have what no shame. You, you on the short game don't like microtransactions. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, I, 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 it almost goes without saying, but I think uh, I, I just have to complain for a few minutes about right the state of games for kids today. Um, the uh, kids today, kids today are growing up with, um, you know, touchscreen devices that have a connected app store. And so... Um, you know, when I was a kid, if someone wanted to sell something to me in a predatory way, they had to go through my parents, <laughs> but today, uh, they can do it directly. I'm sp- speaking directly about, uh, kids games. Cause that's where I'm seeing it the most. This is actually out there uh, at every age level. Adults are, you know, games are targeted at adults that have these exact same, same issues, but, um, the ability 
to pay for something directly inside of your game, I personally think cheapens the entire experience of the game. And this kind of goes in hand in hand with the free to play ecosystem as well. Um, almost nothing great has come out of that entire business model for games. And like it is becoming the entire games industry across several of the most important platforms that we have. Um, I, I don't know if you guys have had any, any experiences with this yourselves. I, I try to avoid it, but, um, you know, I'll, I'll stumble into these games that are seem like a great puzzle game or just a fun distraction. Um, and then you scratch the surface and the game really isn't what you initially thought you were going to spend your time on. Um, so honestly, the microtransactions element that almost doesn't need to be explained too much. I freaking hate it. Um, there are so many ways that it changes the basis of like the gaming experience from being something where you're going to spend your time to being something where you're trying not to spend your time, right? And instead you're spending your money. So set that aside. Um, I have been suckered in, in many cases, by things that have random loot drops. Um, and this can be exciting. This is something that can be used well. Um, but there was a time where I had to realize like, the fact that I'm playing the same level of destiny over and over again, hoping to get the one thing that never falls out of the dead guy. Um, mm -hmm. like that is not a great, uh, that's not a great experience. Like I don't looking back, I don't remember any of those, uh, reruns that I was doing. Um, and, uh, Reagan has just stepped away from the microphone. So this is the perfect chance for a self own because I want to point out that both of these things, microtransactions and random loot apply to my favorite game, uh, across all gaming magic, the gathering. <laughs> I am, I am on a, on nearly a weekly basis, opening packs of magic cards, um, and paying real money. Uh, for the game pieces that I need to play the game um, inside of randomized little packets of Mylar. So, yeah, uh, there is something to be said, though, for the physicality of it. You know, you're 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 paying for that experience and you're at least taking something home with you with these uh, these games that it is like you're just purchasing more opportunities at a random loot chance. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that's how just, I justify it to myself. Yeah. However, that's also how the game creators really try and justify it to the buyers. Right. And, and, and when you're part of a game like that, you know, as I am, you're also in an ecosystem that is dependent on whales that are propping up your entire mm -hmm. hobby uh, by spending ludicrous amounts of money, which yeah. doesn't always feel great. Uh, Reagan is now back. He had to step away for a moment. Uh, Reagan, nothing happened here. You, you did, you didn't not miss me talking about. Magic There's no opportunity to ring a bell that you like to ring whenever Shane is talking. Um, yeah, Shane, I, I you know, it drives I, I was, me crazy. I, I, I was going to interject that I think it's very funny, Shane, that you, the Magic: The Gathering player on the <laughs> podcast, took a bold stand against microtransactions and random loot drops. 
This was an intentional self-own, Reagan. I have yeah. to be honest with my audience. Um, so th- that's uh, that. That is exactly it. Like the those are those are things that have been invented and can be used well. They they're invented to to like drive a certain kind of game experience, like the experience of going to your local uh, card shop and playing a, a draft and opening packs of cards and uh, building a deck and you know that paying your microtransaction to be there, opening the randomized packets of cards. Uh, that is an experience that is uh, a valuable experience, and I think it's worth doing and worth paying money for. But that innovation, much like Robert Oppenheimer's creation of the atomic bomb, um, has, <laughs> has been um, has has destroyed huge swaths of the gaming industry and has left like nothing but uh, trash in, in its wake. So uh, yeah. it's a this is a, a cautionary tale. It's an extension of a deeper of a. Of a of a broader problem of the industry sort of eating itself around, um, you know, people assume or believe content should be free. And so, um, you know, especially apps, everyone believes apps should be free. So if your game is coming through on your iPhone or iPad or whatever, there's this expectation that you don't have to pay anything, which is an incorrect expectation. So these companies have to come up with all these horrible tactics to, uh, to, squeeze money out of people in order to make a living creating these games not excusing it but it is it it's it's like a fundamental problem with the internet and with our content creation and and people's expectations and so you end up with this system where it's exploitive because everyone the the base population believes that they shouldn't really have to pay for most like access to most types of content uh and now here we are today with uh you know, loot boxes and, and the, the legality of loot, like the fact that there's legislation around the world on loot boxes is wild. Um, but, uh, we talked last week's episode on the EU, uh, helping us out with, uh, with charging cables. Um, maybe down the line, there'll be some balance here. I hope so. I I think it's getting better in the in the sort of parts of the gaming industry that like I pay the most attention to. It does seem like, you know, there's sort of just a consensus among sort of quote unquote core gamers against these kinds of mechanics. You know, people are, Mm -hmm. I think, rightfully pretty upset when they buy a $60 game that then has like, you know, pay to get a cool hat kind of mechanics. Yeah. Um, And, and, you know, and, and worse, like worse than that. Um, but uh, I don't know. I don't have a whole lot of hope for the mobile gaming industry right. or for games for children. It just seems like a, um, a insoluble problem. Um, but you know, we can live in hope. Well, I'm going to talk about the video another, game industry yeah. was created uh, to extract money from children, <laughs> and the fact that it produced um, art. And value along the way is somehow incidental. Um, so I don't. I, <laughs> I think don't it's know. extract money via children, not from children. <laughs> children don't generally have money. That you're getting it through the kids, through the, from the parents by way of the kids. Um, which that, it sounds that, like your kids need to get a job. 
uh, I've been trying uh, these damn labor laws. Uh, but, you know, uh, let's talk about something different. Um, my last one is another sort of large genre that just um, I, I it's never clicked with me. And I bring it up because we're about to enter into that season again. And I thought it would make sense here, um, which is I have never been a big fan of of parser based games. So uh, with IF comp How coming up, dare you. I know, I know. And I try to be thoughtful about that when we go into IF comp, because I know it's just a system that I don't click with. And so I try not to hold it against the games because like, I think it it's one of those things that I've always wanted don't to click, love. You type, you don't click, you type, but it's the same sort of problem that I have with the, with the sort of open world, trying to find the specific object. Um, and this one I've always wanted to love. There's a scene from, uh, what is it, Big, where he's playing a, like an old version of this game. Like as from from a from a kid onward, I've always wanted to love these these games where I you remember type exactly in. the scene you're talking about. Yeah, it's like typing in like use Ice lightning staff on, one. Yeah, whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. I've always wanted to love these games because, in theory, it you want it to feel like a D and D type thing where you have all these different unknown options and it's your creativity, your ability to piece together a statement that creates something fun and unique and interesting. And that plays out in the video game. Um, you are standing in the cavern of the evil wizard all around <laughs> you are the carcasses of slain ice dwarfs. Yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> that, that was a great scene in big, and, uh, you know, in D&D, yeah, you know, you say something and then and then the DM kind of crafts a response and, and you really can just say whatever you want. But uh, and that's what I what I've always wanted from these games. And I know that's an unreal expectation because the reality is, is that everything you type in has to have been predicted by the creators of the game and they have to have created a response for it. And being able to nail that specific thing that you're supposed to say to move the story forward. I've never been good at and it's it's always driven me crazy and I just don't enjoy it. Now, I know some modern parser games have really tried to solve this. We talk about the wizard sniffer a lot on this show and other games like that where they they really narrow down the verb set. And that's part of the game is you only have a couple things that you can do and you have to use those specific tools. And, and those games I have enjoyed more because it solves for that problem. But generally speaking, I I just don't have the patience for a game like this where I have to try a ton of different statements until I can figure out the one that is exactly right for the situation. Um, it's totally again, fair. And there's a yeah. there's a reason that like you don't see a lot of like parser games hitting the mainstream these days. I think a lot of folks have that that difficulty. I do wonder if maybe we'll see that getting better with, you know, like it, I, not to not to derail, but like AI language models right. and so on. Like, yeah. I wonder if like the, the improvement of like natural language, just, you know, text processing in general will lead to maybe people um, rediscovering this model. Cause I think you yeah. could totally, you know, build some of like, there's things like AI dungeon that are like totally on the, like, just let the AI hallucinate kind of mode. But even just using some of the more modern uh, approaches to text processing via these like large language models to enable just looser, uh, you know, dialogue with the computer about 
game state. Like I would love to be able to just, you know, even in even in non uh, non text only types of games, it would be nice to be able to say like do X Y Z and then just have the game understand it, um, in in you know a more thorough kind of way. So. I had yeah. a uh, yeah. I, I had a moment a little while ago where I read a really interesting article um, about a sort of a different sort of intersection between large language models and interactive fiction that mm. I thought was really cool. Um, so they wanted a way to test the so we we've seen stuff like open not, not open AI uh, like AI dungeon where it's the AI is kind of acting as the game engine, right? And it's you're mm-hmm. you're selling it, hey, uh, you know, uh, uh, pick up the slain ice dwarf, and it says you pick up the slain ice dwarf. Uh, but mm-hmm. uh, in in this article, um, they they were using interactive fiction games as a way to test the language models, uh, the kind of uh, uh, learning agents, and the um, so what they did was actually create a text-based game that had within it a lot of um, like understanding cause and effect based puzzles uh, and then used that as a way to test uh, language models ability to understand. Um, so creating literally a video game for an AI to play as a way of, of mm. benchmarking it. So uh, I yeah. think there's a huge intersection between uh, text-based games and uh, generative uh, text AI, um, and I, I don't know where that's going to end up. There's lots of other examples that you could cite with stuff like uh, dialogue. But, but I think we've like sort of derailed Nate's uh, oh, sorry, attempt Nate. to call out the, and that was my fault, no, call out the mechanic. This is fascinating. <laughs> I mean, I, I really, I, I 100% agree, like, even just being able to be in the ballpark of what the expected answer is and the in the um the game whether through ai or otherwise be able to recognize that like i i know what i'm supposed to do i i've typed the general action correctly i just didn't nail it exactly as the as the uh, developer had predicted like even something like that i think would be a significant improvement um, and, and this isn't a new, like a new gripe. I think, you know, like Reagan said, I think this is shared with a lot of people. Um, but it seemed apt to me to bring up since we're about to get into IF comp season again too, which I love and I'm very excited for oh God. We're, we're getting into IF comp season again. Yeah. Every time it comes around, it feels like, didn't we just do that? I know <laughs> I'm always excited for it. We always get good, uh, good stuff, but, uh, Oh yeah, you know, it's it, the last it, last year we didn't fully conclude our IF comp coverage, and I think that's the source of the. Uh, I had a baby here. I think we yeah. need to find. <laughs> you did have a baby, um, yeah. right? Our as, programming right around as it is different every year. Every year yeah. we we tackle it slightly with a slightly different amount of episodes or different focuses. Um, maybe we can. I I don't mind that. This is our podcast. Yeah. No one's going to come and tell <laughs> us that we are wrong for how we do it. But listener, if you want to, you can find us on Discord. Yeah. Yeah, if, you, if there's anything you like about our IFCOM coverage that you want us to do more of or things that we're not doing with our IFCOM coverage, let us know. Now is the time because we're going to start planning it. And I think that's all the uh, grousing and complaining that we have time <laughs> for on this episode. But listeners, if you have a a mechanic that you just think spoils games for you, whether you think it's actually a bad mechanic or just a thing that you dislike. Uh, why don't you come let us know 
in our Discord. Uh, a very apt name, perhaps, for this particular discussion. <laughs> so some uh, Discord in our Discord. Exactly, yeah. So if you want to, you can join us uh, by becoming one of our patrons. So if you want to find the show on the internet, you can go to shortgame.fm, which is a page where you've got all the links and buttons to all the different places that we do stuff on the internet, including our, our show notes, including uh, our Patreon, our Mastodon, all the other places that we are. So join us, shortgame.fm, or you can go directly to patreon.com slash the short game. And if you subscribe at... Uh, even our lowest level of $3 a month, then you will get instant access to our Discord, which is a place we would love to have you, listener. We'd love to chat with you about the games that you're playing. Uh, It's a great place if you want to suggest games for the show. Most of the games that we play on the show come via listener suggestions, or at the very least, uh, you know, those listener suggestions get weighed very heavily when deciding between things. So we really appreciate all of our patrons for that and all of our listeners. Uh, You can also uh, contact us via our website we've got a contact form on there or an email address um we read all of those of course uh, you can find me on the internet at reagan.me where you'll find links to all of my various social profiles i'm mostly on mastodon these days but there's links to other places as well if you want to get a hold of me uh and uh nate where can people find you remembering that i was going to make nate.me so i could do the same cool stuff that you're doing reagan um but i have forgotten so maybe i'll remember now um, and yeah, you can find my uh, socials. I'm Nate STL on the social platforms. Uh, and Shane, where can people find you? You can find me on Mastodon at Shane at bird.rodeo. And listeners, thank you once again for joining us on this episode of The Short Game. <laughs>